In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Like beer, I don't know if you do. Okay. you like beer, Senator, or not? Um, Mom, I want a vape. Ah! Nude pictures of Trump. Come on now. Don't mess with me. The Betches Sup Podcast. How dare you? Hello, and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast Pride Quarantine Edition. I'm Brian Russell-Smith. And I am Chris Burns. And today, we're going to be talking about LGBTQ history. Let's get into it. Hey, Chris. Hey, what's <laughs> up? Funny to see you here. I know. Okay, so for the sub listeners who don't know, but I'm sure most of you all do, Chris here, aka Fat Carrie Bradshaw, and I used to host a podcast called Everyone's Gag. Chris Fat Carrie obviously works at Betches. Um, yes. You know her from the Types of Girls videos. Yeah, um, and we used to host a podcast podcast together called Everyone's Gay, and you know it's Pride time. We're all stuck inside. So they brought um, the two queens back together yes. for a little, a little LGBTQ plus history. Mm-hmm. Um, and other things. It's nice to be back recording. I've been doing The Bachelor, so um, not a whole lot of LGBTQ history over there. <laughs> I was talking to someone, I was talking to Kay actually about how The Bachelor is like, it It goes across party lines. Like Democrats and Republicans love oh, the bachelor <laughs> see we all have something in common watching poor people get their hearts ripped out on television uh, but i do agree there's definitely a mixed um mixed bag of listeners yeah. so what we're doing here is every friday of june chris and i are going to come back for just a little special episode because you know we are used to pride being parades and parties and bumping privates and making out with strangers. However, mm. that is not happening this year. Very unfortunately. And but. so we will be using this pride month to sort of reflect upon LGBTQ history that, you know, you never really learn about because it's not a part of the curriculum when you are in school. So you don't really get to learn very much about queer history or from that perspective. And, you know, maybe you should like, you know, we learn about so many other civil rights movements, like rightfully so, but you know, not so much this. Exactly. Also on the same note, just thinking about that, I'm like, I was thinking recently how it's crazy that gay people don't learn anything about themselves growing up. Like, even like health class (laughs) like there's so many things that so Mm -hmm. who knows maybe next year we'll have to do a health class edition i know maybe i was just saying i was like maybe we should teach a health gay health class (laughs) not really my area of expertise either (laughs) (laughs) i know maybe i guess we should like i mean if you think about it though it's just gym teachers teaching health class like do they really have i guess they probably learn about it you had gym teachers teaching health class yeah, we had our gym teachers would teach us like sex ed and stuff. I think. Oh, we had like required health class from like a health teacher who was like a it former. Was, 
nurse or no, something. She wasn't like health specific. She like also like ran kickball. <laughs> mm. So yes, last year I was in the Pride Parade and had to break onto the Bravo float to use Nene Leak's bathroom. And this year we're going to be educating. <laughs> and you know what? They're equally exciting for me. Oh, I, I agree. I've had, I've had some fun prides in the past. Uh, last year I skipped it altogether. Um, so kind of regretting it today. Yeah. I, bet. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do pride this year. I went on, I went <laughs> to the beach and now I'm like, well, fuck. Um, and the universe said, and you'll never do pride again. <laughs> exactly. They were like, oh, we're going to do, this is basically my fault. This is karma for me. You're the reason of coronavirus. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so let's get started. Um, so the first person that we're going to be talking about, so we're, gonna, we're sort of breaking this up into people um, and just trying to get like different perspectives on different people and their, you know, identities, whatever. So while I was doing some research for this, I came across this person named Albert Cashier. I like the last name. I know. Um, He's about money. I don't know. So the thing about Albert Cashier is, so he was born... In Ireland, he was an he was an American immigrant. He immigrated to Illinois later in, uh, when he was a kid. Um, actually, born on Christmas Day, but he was born with the name um, Jenny Irene Hodgers and was assigned female at birth. Mm-hmm. So, as a child, immigrated as a, a girl. So, what happened is is Albert Cashier's mother passed away, and once that happened. For Kashir to live independently, because at the time they were a woman, um, she dressed up as a man um, and became uh, Albert Kashir, so she, so he could live alone. Oh, so he could live completely independently because at the time, women weren't allowed to live independently. I'm assuming, which it is weren't what? allowed, was frowned upon. Um, Either or, basically the it same. It would be heavily questioned. Yes. And then the Civil War broke out. And Abraham Lincoln called for volunteers, cashier un- uh, enlisted under his new name, Albert Cashier, and then fought for the Union Army for three years. He fought in Mississippi, Missouri, Tennessee, Louisiana, and in the end, marched almost 10,000 miles total. 10,000 uh, miles. Can you imagine marching 10,000 miles? Walking anywhere 10,000 miles. Dress, <sighs> hiding who, like hiding your gender tr- and thinking about marching 10,000 miles. Yeah, so his, his fellow soldiers were like, oh, he's like tiny and likes to keep to himself. That's normal. Like it was fucking war. Like people were going crazy. And like, you know, they, some people were quiet. Some people liked to be alone and they just thought he was quiet and liked to be alone. And they never found out. And uh, there's actually some quotes from historians. So Gerard Clausius, Clausius, I love I'm living for these drag names. <laughs> Clausius, it's, it's, like, it's like a take on Santa Clausius. Please welcome um, to the stage, <laughs> Gerard Clausius. There you go, <laughs> beautiful. Um, so he is a, a Belvedere amateur historian. I don't know what that means. 
Um, and he wrote an essay in 1958 called The Little Soldier of the 95th that about, about Albert. And it, it says, he said, um, do you want to read it actually? Do you see, and maybe you could do a fun voice. Uh, yeah. In handling a musket in battle, he was the equal of any in the company. And he was able to withstand the long marches, the rigors of camp life, and the problems of an infantryman, as well as his comrades who were bigger and brawnier. Okay, yeah, so that was pe- pretty good. That was that a pretty, was pretty good. good. Done. Thank you. That was a good read. That was a good read. Um, so that's pretty cool. And, uh, and then in an article from the True Republican newspaper, which was published in 1913, Sergeant Ives, um, I wonder if there's any relation to St. Ives, uh, Sergeant, Probably. get it? <laughs> Who served the alongside soap. cashier? What? The soap. <laughs> Saint the soap. Yeah, I know. That's what I was going. I used to use the apricot scrub. Um, who served along? So he served along with cashier, and he remembers cashier taunting Confederate soldiers. If you want to read, come out of there, you damned rebels, and show your face. Wow, I am booking this role. <laughs> <laughs> so cashier is alleged to have said that when he was trying to find a concealed enemy um we were saying like i was thinking about war like you were talking about like 10 walking ten thousand miles these people like you'd shoot one bullet at them and then have to run up to them and try and stab them with your gun it's crazy <laughs> i mean this whole thing is crazy imagine the the enemy is hiding and you're yelling for them to come out so that you can run up and stab them <laughs> after know. marching for 10,000 miles. I'm like, it's wild. Literally. I'm like, I'm having a hard day because my Wi-Fi <laughs> is shaky. And these people are like stabbing people to death after running 10,000 miles. I, I know it's not really interesting to ever hear about someone's dreams, but I think because I was doing so much research about this, last night I had a dream that I was like a colonial person and the British were coming and I was like running away from them and they <laughs> shot me. You lost. <laughs> and then I woke up. I yeah, lost. because you, you know you can never die in a dream because your body doesn't know what dying feels like. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> right? Um, so, okay. Continuing, uh, Albert Kashir uh, was honorably discharged because he just served his time. Um, and then, after the war, continued to live as a man for another 50 years. Um, so he was, he, he basically, like, lived with families, doing odd jobs, and, like, lived in their houses or, like, lived in the stores. Um... And it only became known that he was assigned female at birth towards the end of his life um, because he was actually uh, injured in a car, like a car hit him and he broke his leg and he like had to go to the physician. The physician found out. Oh, geez. And was, but also, and then he started to lose his mind as he got older and they Same. put him in an insane asylum and they made him wear a dress. What? Really sad. Yeah. That and, was not the turn I was expecting. Well, so there's like good news and bad news about the end of his life. Um, he went crazy, so that wasn't great. Um, however, there was like, once they found out that he was, had been a woman, they tried to take away his war benefits. But then they were like, no, well, 
even though he did lie about who he who was, or he didn't lie, but you know, he used a, a different name. Um, he still was he still bitches fought. left and right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's exactly. still charging <laughs> caves and yelling at the enemies to come out so he could shank their asses. Yeah, so they let him keep they, they he kept his pension, and then when he died, they they the tombstone uh, he was buried under the name Albert Kashir. His well, chosen name. That's a silver lining of going crazy, being forced in a dress, and having to live out your days in an insane asylum. Yeah, and it's just wild because so there. This is just one example of at least 250 women known who or females dressed as men to fight in the Civil War. Some went on to become start dressing as women again after the war, but those were the only ones we know about, and we only know we only know about Albert Kashir because he got caught. We don't I know about all the ones you know, together. I mean, they say 250 that we know of. Think of all the ones that you never knew of, that Mm -hmm. never, nobody ever caught on to anything that wouldn't talk about it. And I mean, it's like a, uh, I didn't make this connection. It's like Mulan, except Mulan didn't go on to live as a, her son. Oh yeah. I forgot about Mulan. The live action movie was supposed to come out this summer. Well, I was excited. Um, and it's just truly wild to think about this in the context of where we are today, because, you know, the Trump administration, you know, thinks that transgender people shouldn't even be able to serve in our military when they have literally been doing it for hundreds of years for this country. Um, it's so, I yeah, mean, I think it's crazy to turn away anybody that would be volunteering to charge caves and stab the enemy. I just can never I understand mean, that. I mean, I know that's not how things warfare are now. But has, warfare has changed a bit since the, this time, but uh, it's true. It's true. It truly, it, I 100% agree. You know, like I look at, look at you and I fucking podcasting safely away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go volunteer. Like, so and you know who really, I want? You know who I want fighting for me more than anybody? A transgendered person. Okay, they've gone through all of that shit. That is the person I want on my side. They're strong mm-hmm. enough to have gone through this whole thing and still want to deal with people like Trump saying, like trying to turn them away. That yeah. is who I want fighting for me. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. 
That's newly with two U's and enter the code feverdream 20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code feverdream 20 Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So we recently had the prospect of our first openly gay president in history. I don't know if you knew that, Brian. There was an openly gay man <laughs> running for president. Um, Pete Buttigieg. Pete That's Buttigieg. Uh, it's crazy that like five weeks ago he won Iowa and now... Was that only five weeks ago? Was it? I mean, it was February. I, Chris, I have no concept of time. I was like, it point. feels like light years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was February. somehow both feels like just yesterday and okay so like three four months it's not just five weeks okay ago. i was like i feel like three months <laughs> that was longer um, than five weeks ago but anyway so the keyword to openly gay president the uh, the keyword is openly here so our 15 president i can't talk today see we got talking about Buttigieg, and i just started losing my my way of speaking our 15th president, James Buchanan, was often referred to as the only bachelor president when we would learn about him in school, which is funny to me because that's also what like my family would refer to as my like gay cousin that never got married. And they'd be like, oh, you know, Anita's just a confirmed bachelorette. <laughs> uh, so I think it's interesting to go back to our 15th president. They were still using that same lingo. Um, mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be the first time we were taught false U.S. history. Definitely looking at you, Christopher Columbus, who, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I was raised, or in school, we thought Christopher Columbus was like somebody to celebrate. I mean, obviously, there was a day off yeah. about him. Um, I know. I, it reminds you, you, do you watch The Sopranos? Um, no, because... No, is the short answer to that. Okay. (laughs) So so, something scarred you clearly. But there's a whole episode where AJ, the son, is like, uh, they're trying to talk to his family about Christopher Columbus. And they're like, Christopher Columbus is a national, Christopher Columbus is a national hero in this house. Shut up about it. (laughs) It's really funny. I don't know. See, that is, I mean, I get that. I don't watch The Sopranos because I get so wrapped up in TV shows that I would all of a sudden start talking like that. So that's Uh, why. 100%. I haven't watched it yet because I know that I will become a soprano in my brain. Yeah. So anyway, unfortunately, that will not be the last false U.S. history we're taught. And we'll see what the history books read about this current time someday. But anyway... Mm -hmm. Before Buchanan became president in 1857, he lived on and off for 16 years with William Rufus King. Hello, three names. He was a senator from Alabama, the ambassador to France, and eventually vice president. And yeah, was, he, sorry. You he go. was most famous for being like the vice president who died after like 32 days. He got tuberculosis and died. Woof. So that's, yeah. So... That's the end of that story. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. So it was pretty common knowledge that Buchanan and King were an item amongst people in Washington, but most people just did not care and thought that their private life should stay private, which is kind of crazy Mm -hmm. because you would think they would care a lot. Well, so like the thing, you know, about this time was that there wasn't really the term gay person or even like homosexual for that matter. You know what, what I mean? What did you like, just call me? They, 
<laughs> no, but it was like it was like um you know uh his male companion you know what i mean was, like yeah. they, they spent a lot of time together it was not a it was just not a known term Mm -hmm. I was watching this documentary about these two lesbians that have been together for 65 years and they refer to each other as cousin, like still, because they had gotten so used to that's what they would say. And that's the same mm -hmm. thing they say. They're like, there was no term for being uh, two women that were together in 1940. Like it just wasn't a yeah. thing. And this was whatever, um, you know, 70 years before that even. Um, so yeah. Andrew Jackson referred to King as Miss Nancy, which fucked up. <laughs> but which also, was a euphemism. I think I've called Brian that before. It's a euphemism <laughs> for a gay man. And also I think now has kind of been taken back by gay people and like drag queens in general, like referring mm -hmm. to people as Nancy Mary, like girls' names. Mm -hmm. um, but other contemporaries called King Buchanan's better half, and one congressman referred to him as Mrs. B, which, again, mm -hmm. that's kind of fucked up. Um, so one of the reasons yeah. we knew they were an item is from a letter Buchanan wrote in 1844 after King had moved to Paris for his ambassador posting, and it said, congrats on Paris, except I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Paris. <laughs> You're not going to Paris. Yeah, um, no, it said, I am now solitary and alone. Having no companion in the house with me, I have gone a wooing to several gentlemen, but have not succeeded with any one of them. Same. I feel that is not good for man to be alone and should not be astonished to find myself married to some old maid who can nurse me when I am sick, provide good dinners for me when I am well, and not expect from me any very ardent or romantic affection. Wow, that is some note. Well, it's also like pretty shady because it's not to. So James Buchanan wrote it to a friend, and was like talking about oh. William Rufus King leaving to go to Paris. This is and the so equivalent like, of somebody today being like, "He's in Paris. I'm not doing this long distance thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna shack up with the first person that'll make me dinner." Yeah. <laughs> well, he was like trying to find a, a gentleman to woo, and was being unsuccessful. And he's like, "I'll just marry some woman." Who can take care of me when I'm old? Oh my That's god! Basically, uh, the former president James Buchanan, yeah. And then so, yeah. Wow. Okay. So Will the William Rufus King similarly wrote back to him from Paris. So he wrote. That's so this my time, William, Yeah. So now William Rufus King is writing to James Buchanan okay, in this wow. letter. So he said, uh, "I have to do a different voice here. I'm selfish enough to hope." you will not be able to procure an associate who will cause you to feel no regret at our separation. For myself, I shall feel lonely in the midst of Paris, for here I shall have no friend with whom I shall commune as with my own thoughts. Wow, okay, my heart's broken. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's so, like, my like, heart, like, I'll never find someone as good as you. And the other one is like, the other one's and like, the other one's like find someone. <laughs> The other one's like, I'm going to Fire Island this weekend and picking up the first Nancy that I find dancing. Um, Pretty much. Wow. Okay, so many of the letters were destroyed by each other after reading them or after they had died by their nieces because they were friends with each other's families as well. The letters were destroyed either by, as soon as they opened it, they would rip up the letter, or when they died, their nieces would rip up the letter 
because the families were friends like, with each other. Yeah. And knew what was going on and didn't want it getting out into high society. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, <clears throat> they, they, no one really cared then for some reason. You know what I mean? But like, because they were like, it's your private life. Do whatever you want. Yeah. And I think back then too, like, it was so, um, like, unheard of, maybe, that it was just, like, you know, when somebody's in your family's, like, oh, she's crazy, but she's family. Like, it wasn't, yeah. like, a thing. Yeah. Like, it is now. <laughs> That's crazy okay. to me. William yeah. Rufus King and I need to have a talk about his self-worth. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I already spoiled his ending <laughs> to break down oh. his you know what? Nicole Kidman got it in um, Moulin Rouge, so uh-huh. at least he's in good company. Yeah. What was her name? Stephine? I don't know. Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. <laughs> so, James Buchanan wasn't the only resident of the White House to have a same-sex partner or relationship. Um, we also have stories of first lady eleanor roosevelt's husband to fdr franklin aka franklin delano roosevelt um did you know that they were both roosevelt's before they got married no that's weird because they're distant cousins that's true that's bizarre how distant like fifth cousins because there's theodore roosevelt who's teddy roosevelt i just had always assumed that he was fdr's father but they I always assumed there was a strong relation. Well, I think there's a relation, but she's actually more closely related to to Teddy Roosevelt than he than FDR was. Wow, I know, crazy. I got into this whole rabbit hole of like American family trees um, during this, and it really just like they're like around today. You know what I mean? Oh, the Roosevelts? Like the Roosevelts, like the DuPonts, the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts. I know, Anderson Cooper's a Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. So am I. They're they're all just like hiding in plain sight. And I'm like, these like American dynasty is like, oh, that's why you have billions of dollars. Um, Anywho. So, okay. There was this highly regarded... Associated Press journalist, her name was Lorena Hickok, and she was assigned to write about Eleanor, and eventually she fell in love with her. Mm, Um, That's the story that I want to hear. mm -hmm. And so they fell in love um, with each other, and as she became closer to the Roosevelt's, she gave up her job. They called her Hick, so we'll call her Hick. She gave up her job, and she moved into the White House in a room adjoining the first ladies. She sounds like a softball player. They were like, <laughs> I know, Hick. I know. <laughs> like, come on, Hick, let's get on down to the field. Like <laughs> I know. I actually had, I think I knew someone that was like Hicks who was a coach or something. I'm not gonna quote it. Um, so while the women were discreet about their relationship, there's this um, author, Amy Bloom. Uh, who wrote about this. And she said that she believes the white house press corps probably knew about it. Um, she was quoted as saying, I think it is one of those peculiar times that homophobia was actually a great friend to them. 
because it would have been shocking to say that the first lady was a lesbian because mm -hmm. it was at the time a shocking to say the word lesbian and to even bring it up would to be would to put yourself in the category of quote perverse because mind you we are dealing with world war ii and the establishments of the great new deal and all this crazy shit that they're like okay i mean and if you think about the time fdr was confined to a fucking wheelchair and no one knew and eleanor was having a lesbian relationship but the press never covered it. That would never happen today. <laughs> no, I mean, but also back then it was so much easier to get away with anything. You could get away with murder back then, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, Tab tabloid journalism. Ruined it I mean, they could be like fully having a relationship and people wouldn't know. There's just like mm -hmm. no, no cameras, no phones, mm -hmm. no anything. Mm -hmm. And so Lorena Hick, she um, came from like a harsher upbringing than, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt, who was a Roosevelt. You don't say. A girl and whose name was Hick had a harsher <laughs> upbringing. So she like helped shape Eleanor Roosevelt's like ideologies on things and, you know, like the way she just like, like saw America. Yeah. And so she was thought to have encouraged her, like help encourage Roosevelt's commitment to the New Deal and accompanied her on tours to deprived parts of the country and helped her to establish this nationally syndicated column that Eleanor Roosevelt had called My Day. She like wrote this like weekly column as First Lady and then continued it. Um, and so they actually have, they've actually released a bunch of letters between the two. Um, and in one letter, Roosevelt writes to Hick while they were separated, I ache to hold you close your ring is of great comfort. I look at it and think she does love me or I wouldn't be wearing it. I assume Eleanor Roosevelt's wearing one of Hick's rings. Um, and another, uh, Hick tells Roosevelt, Eleanor, I want to put my arms around you and kiss you at the corner of your mouth. I mean, there's not much discussion here. Corner of your mouth? I don't know why the corner. Maybe it's a euphemism for vagina. I I'm hope kidding. not. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know. What a sweet um, thing to say. I want to put my arms around you and kiss your vagina. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, in another one, she wrote, Hick, darling, oh, how good it was to hear your voice. It was so inadequate to try and tell you what it meant. Jimmy was near and I couldn't say je t'aime and je adore as I longed to do, but always remember I'm saying it and then I go to sleep thinking of you and repeating our little saying. So that's nice. That is sweet. Look at that. And I mean, if you think about it, she was married to the president. But the president was also having an affair with the secretary. Um, so they were all just fucking. You know, we haven't gotten a good movie about the Roosevelt's. I mean, I didn't see the one about with Bill Murray. What was that called? Like Hatsfield Park or some shit. But apparently, it's a very, it's like a it's like a, it's like a time shot of like a specific mm. time, not like a. This movie yeah, sounds amazing. If this were to be a movie, totally. Um, I'm just saying, I'm available. <laughs> I'm available. You could, you could be FDR, or or Hick. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I'm not FDR. <laughs> um, I would so, be like the friend that was like Eleanor. What's <laughs> happening, girl? <laughs> um. So eventually, they they grew apart. War was nearing. Eleanor had a lot of responsibilities as first lady. She is the longest serving first lady ever. And then she even like went on to work 
in government and tried to help them make the world a better place afterwards. Um, she was just a busy lady. Couldn't keep up with Hick. But it was unfortunate for Hick because she had given up her journalism career to move in with the Roosevelts. And then That's... it was, and then afterwards it was like harder for her to get a job. I mean, yeah. Mm-mm-mm. So that's why you don't sacrifice your career for any any man or woman. Exactly, honey. <laughs> that career is not going to wake up and decide that it needs to uh, be the longest running first lady ever. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was... That was this week in quarantine. Yeah. How did you feel? Good? I feel good. I feel educated. Oh, good. I hope I hope everyone does, too. All right. Well, until the end of Core 19, I'm Brian Russell Smith. And I'm Chris Burns. And this has been the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. The Sup is created by Sammy Fishbein. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to Sup at Betches.com. Batches.